This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Great. How the heck are you? I'm doing wonderful. That's super. And also joined by, it looks like, Darth Vader, Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. How are you? Yes, I'm wearing a hoodie in my house. <laughs> do y'all not have any heat in your house, Evan? We do, but it's just the warm air rises, and I'm on the bottom floor of this palatial mansion. So uh, all the cold air seems to sit down here. Oh, I'm starting to hear that. More yeah. of a Frodo than actually a, a Darth Vader. Actually, <laughs> the, the sad news, uh, Darth Vader died uh, earlier this week. Well, you know, only in body. Yeah did you did you read that uh, did you read that whole bit? I'm always a little leery of a guy. uh, Nothing against David Prowse. I mean, he did a fine job standing up inside that costume. You know, (laughs) just come on. You know, he got he got a little upset with everybody because he didn't get you know better play and I don't know you know with George Lucas and all that. It's like, come on, man, you were inside a costume. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to give you too much credit for that. So anyway, I was talking about how he was trying to, to convey his emotions inside that costume by his gestures. You know, I okay. thought he did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, so anyway, so the Cowboys uh, are going to play another game here. I don't know, Monday, Tuesday, next Thursday, maybe, maybe Christmas. Who knows? Whenever. Still get around to it. Yeah, try to try to schedule a game with uh, with Baltimore. Uh, this has obviously uh, everything to do with Baltimore and not the Cowboys at this point. Uh, uh, the Ravens are, are struggling with their their COVID uh, um, uh, participation. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, so David, are we pretty sure this game is going to be on Tuesday now? Well. You could really only move it back one more day. It's been moved twice. It was originally scheduled for this Thursday. Right. Uh, then it was bumped back to Monday. Then it was bumped back to Tuesday. And really the way the weeks are set up and, and getting to the next game, you can't go beyond a Wednesday. I mean, that, that really stretches you to the limit and you're already into the next week uh, of games. So, um, you know, it has the potential to, to slide back one more. Um, I, I would doubt that would happen if, if, if the Ravens, I mean, they're at a stage now where I think as of, as of this morning, 18 people are going to be out of this game with COVID. Uh, but when you look at the time frame, most of them should be through the protocol by the time the Cowboys game rolls around next Tuesday. 
And you know, I, I thought it was interesting because when the game was initially moved from Thursday to Monday, um, my my initial reaction was, well, why didn't they put it on Sunday? Because then you were talking about, I, I look at the, you know, really the format on the closest they game they don't want to have more than two games in five days you're not going to see the nfl have that two in five days and then i was looking at it, i was going well you know why didn't they move the game to sunday and then i went well this means that you know they're they're playing baltimore pittsburgh all the way to the end and they believe there's a good chance it's going to move back they hope it doesn't but they believe it will and so and moving it on Monday, they didn't want to move to Sunday, then to Monday, then to Tuesday. So, uh, so they just took the jump to Monday, and it would have stayed there if that if they would have played today. But since they're going to pushing it back till tomorrow, um, they went ahead and moved it. And uh, and Pittsburgh had to move its games as well. But you know, th- this this is a very beyond the the tragedy that struck the Cowboys last week. This is a very odd stretch because. You have a Dallas team playing two days, two games in five days leading up to the Thanksgiving Day game. Then after that, they don't play for 11 consecutive days. And then they come out of that stretch and they play two games in six days. So, you know, they, they've never had a stretch like this uh, in their history. But, but you knew that COVID-19 was going to have a domino effect on the schedule. You also knew it was most likely to happen late in the season, and you're seeing that now. And, and to me, it's going to be, you know, the, the NFL is, is, is trying its absolute best not to add another week to the regular season, which is why they're pushing Pittsburgh, Baltimore, all the way back to Wednesday. But they're pretty much strained to the max now. You know, all it takes is one or – because if one team's affected, in essence, it impacts – four teams because you're talking about their their upcoming that opponent that week and then both teams opponents in the next week which is what you have here people say well Bal- well this is you know impacts baltimore well it impacts baltimore pittsburgh washington and dallas because all four of those teams have to change their schedule so if you have one or two more of these in december which i think is highly likely uh, I, I don't see how the NFL is going to avoid adding an extra week, although they're going to do everything in their power to try to do it, as as you've seen with what they've done with Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Yeah, let's let's hope that they can uh, that they can actually pull this thing off next Tuesday. Is this still going to be a, th- uh, a a three o'clock start? Is it, is it going to be a night? No, now it's a night. It was it was going to be a uh, three forty start when it was on Monday. But now that it's moved to Tuesday, it's the only game on Tuesday, and it's going to be at 7.05 Dallas time. You know, I was really looking forward to writing off that 3.40. Mid-afternoon game, I know. Yeah, yeah. it was really nice, David. Uh, you know, I, I just hate it when they can't accommodate the things that make <laughs> uh, me well, yeah, make my life a little easier. Well, here's the other one that's interesting, too. I think the, uh, you know, the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game on Wednesday is now at, like, locally, I think it's, what, 2.40 here is kickoff. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, and people are going, well, why is that? Well, NBC is broadcasting the game. They are also broadcasting the tree lighting ceremony in Rockefeller Plaza later that night 
and they didn't want the conflict. So the NFL <laughs> was only all too happy to move that game to a, a 2.40 kickoff in Dallas time for, uh, to accommodate the tree lighting. Well, it's, you know, we got the priority straight at NBC, and I think that's good. The tree lighting is much bigger than the NFL these days. Uh, okay, speaking of, because uh, you mentioned history, speaking of history, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but I, I think we should spend a little bit of time talking about the dumbest play in Dallas Cowboys <laughs> history, uh, which was, of course. Well, dumbest decision. Maybe not well, the dumbest play. Well, it's just dumb all the way <laughs> through. Right I mean, if you say dumbest decision, you could say that was, you know, Jerry Jones buying the Cowboys. But, if, you know, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's, say, let's say the decision on the field, yes, to, to go for it on fourth and 10 from your own 24, uh, we're going to have a four a, point game in a four point game. Like something was really the matter here. We got nothing else to lose here. We really have to do this. It's a four point game and you're going for it. I, you know, I can remember, you know, now I realize that uh, analytics have changed sports uh, and, and, you know, and for them, and, and I would say I'm about 50, 50 on that. Half the time I'm, I'm okay with it. Half the time I think, ugh, this is just brutal now to watch. Uh, you know, my sons and I were discussing as we were watching games the other day. We said, you know, I, I wouldn't see, be surprised to see teams go for it more on fourth and one, you know, uh, those kind of situations, that, you know, just, just like college football has done. College football has really been at the forefront of a lot of changes in football. Yeah. And uh, and the NFL has been slow to embrace those things. And that and I think that the NFL is making a mistake doing that. You know, I, I think that college football has become in many ways a much more exciting brand of football to watch than it is in pro football uh, because of some of the decisions that have been made. But this is completely off the charts going forward on fourth and 10. You know, first of all, I, I love the fact that the that the primary target was a guy who just got here. We thought he was a punter, and he finds out, oh, no, I'm also a wide receiver here. <laughs> I, I am the number one option for Cedric uh, uh, Wilson on, on this play. <laughs> you know, unbelievable. And then the second target is supposed to be C.J. Goodwin, who is God knows where down the field. Uh, and and It was and, wide and, open. And he was wide, and that's what I said. Of course, Cedric Wilson supposedly couldn't see him couldn't tell where he was i'm sure what cedric is thinking is this is the craziest play that ever happened no way am i throwing an interception here of course here was the thing if he just throws it like a punt because that's kind of the deal right you, you go ahead and throw this ball if it gets intercepted of course then there's also the possibility the ball just falls harmlessly and that would be just as bad as, yeah. uh, as of course anyway so uh the, the percentages of this working, I, I just can't imagine that the analytics told them this is a really good idea. You should pull this off right now. Well, it, it, that, they got the they got, they considered doing it earlier in the game and they actually had the defensive look that that they needed to execute it. So they, they followed it away and said, OK, well, if we get this again, we'll do it. But what happened is the corner dropped down, uh, figured it out. And when he dropped down and the guy went out. Uh, then Cedric Wilson, who is a receiver, not a quarterback, didn't actually go. Uh, why would you blame? You know, they don't want him sitting back there going, okay, first option's out, second option's out. Okay, who's my third option? Um, oh, my gosh. To me. Well, all of this, this explanation is, is very rational and all of that, and it just hammers home all the more what Kevin said. 
it's the dumbest play. There's there is no explanation for any of no, this. No, no, there's not. Except from my from my perspective, that basically it's a like approach of we don't have anything to lose. We're just gonna go the desperation out, uh the desperation route. And that's sad if 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 that's where Cowboys coaching staff is right now. Well, if you want a desperation late in the game when you're down by four and you've gone almost an entire half without moving, okay. But not at that point of the game. And again, their the rationale when they're trying to explain it, it didn't match up at all. Um, you know, Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones both said, well, there was a sense that we were teetering, that our offense was getting gashed in the ground game. Well, that happened in the first half. And that's why on fourth and inches, they threw it in their side of the field and, right. and didn't make it in the second half. You know, at least now I disagreed with the play call there, but not the decision to go for it necessarily on fourth and inches because early in the game, I mean, look, I mean, after Dallas scored, Washington had 12, 14 play drives that were consuming seven and a half, eight minutes of clock. Uh, that defense was getting worn out. Uh, the defense needed to be off the field, but this whole, idea that we called it there because we were teetering let's go back and look at it it's a 20 to 16 game washington in the previous two defensive possessions dallas had held washington to a three and out and then they got an interception that got the ball down to the the six three to four yard line i think um so in the last two defensive stands for dallas it was a three and out and an interception so the defense had actually righted itself, and you got a sense that, okay, now if the offense can just get moving. Now let's go, what's the best-case scenario on that play? If you would have hit Nesswinder, the punter, you would have picked up, okay, you're on your own 27. Say you picked up 15, 20, even say 25 yards, which I think would have been the max really on that play. You're still on your side of the field, and you haven't moved the ball in the second half. There's still a good chance you're going to wind up punting anyway. You know, the, the risk-reward ratio for making that play at that point at that point of the game, at that place in the field, made absolutely no sense whatsoever in any equation that you look at. It just did not. And, and let me just, again, say this. You cannot quote analytics and also quote your feelings at the same time, because the two don't line up. You can't tell me that, well, our offense was teetering or our defense was teetering. That's a gut instinct. And yes. then if, you're, if you're introducing the human element there, then that's going to negate the absolutes of analytics that exactly. all are based on specific, on, on very specific uniform situations. And that is the problem here. You've got guys who have been handed numbers and have been given advanced numbers, and I still don't think that they understand. If you're going to play blackjack at that table, you better be willing to make that bet every every single time because otherwise you lose the advantage that you supposedly have. So let's face facts. That wasn't an analytic-based decision. That was That was a gut. We're going to try and surprise them. We really yep. don't have anything else to go with here. Let's let's just let's just pull something out of our hat. That that that's how that strikes me. Let me let me that, ask you this. That's what today. bad teams do. I think that's what bad teams do. You start to make bad decisions and things don't work out 
and then you're more prone to make another bad decision as the game unfolds rather than saying, okay, uh, because there's a sense that everything's working against you. You have such a thin margin for victory. Okay, well, I, I've got to impose something or, or make something happen here to, to give us some momentum and give us a chance to win. And you can argue that's the exact worst way to look at it with the team that's struggling. Let me ask you this, David. Do you, do you think it's possible that, uh, that this administration, uh, the Cowboys, knows that they're, that uh, this season is lost? We really should just try to, 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 to do whatever we need to do to, to, to get us in a place where we can uh, have a better draft pick. And we're going to just run some things here and just file this stuff away. We're going to see how this works. Uh, and, and we're, going to, we're just going to try some things we wouldn't normally try just because of the situation that we're in. No, because in that game, if Dallas won, they would have been leading the division. Yeah. And uh, then you would have had two wins in five days. You would have responded to the unexpected and tragic death of Marcus Paul, your strength and conditioning coordinator. Um, and then you go into these final, you know, six weeks of the season saying, hey, we're we're playing our best ball. We survived all of this. We've come together. Yeah, we should win this division. I mean, I, I really believe that game was for the division. Uh, I believe if Dallas would have won that game, they would have set themselves up really well the rest of the way. Um, now it's hard for them to to make that argument. And, and now I think you look at it differently. Um, but no, he, at that point, I, I think I think they've reached that point now. Um, but, you know, I was struck again in, in defending this, which you can't really you can explain it, but you can't defend it. Uh, you know, uh, Mike McCarthy was talking about, well, you know, I, I let everyone know right when I got here how I was going to call games. I was going to be aggressive. I was going to take chances. Uh, you can't worry about the negative outcome, which, again, to me, is disingenuous. Take, because you, chances, you're not going with the analytics. That's the inconsistency here that, that's driving yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, this whole thing that you can't take negatives into account, of course you can, because negatives at certain stages of games – tip the scales in a game more than it does at another point. Now, if they would have done that in the first quarter in a seven to three game, that impact is much different than it is in the third quarter in a 20 to, to 16 game. So, so don't tell me that, that, you know, you don't coach against negatives and, and, and he, he falls back on this, you know, it, it was a solid call based on the look we got. And I still maintain that that doesn't give the proper context either. Maybe it's a solid call if the score is different, if it's a different time of the game, um, but not in that situation. And that's where uh, analytics aren't just absolute. You have to drop them into the moment of the game. And and that's where you that's have purists on both Kevin, sides. Yeah. As Kevin said, you've got to factor in person. Basically, this is what Kevin said. You've got to factor in the personnel that you're using too. Sure. Right? You know, why would you use if you get a look and you don't have the personnel to execute it? What good's the look? <laughs> I mean, well, that's, you know? that's, that was a point I was going to make is that it's that it, I don't care what you thought you were getting there. You're still asking this wide receiver to throw a pass to a punter. You know what, what really makes you think? I mean, it's, I know that when he had Johnny Decker over with the Rams, John Fossil, the special teams coach, that this was a guy who could really do some different things. He can really he can throw it. You know, we, we we've seen him do that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not saying that Cedric Wilson can't do that. I'm just saying that 
when you when you put a guy in that kind of position, uh, you're you're asking an awful lot of him. You know, I, I can't stand these kind of things where people say, and then many times I've heard coaches say that the play was there, we just didn't execute it. That's that's such a cop out. You're saying that it's all on the players here, not on me. And it's like, no, your job is to put players in position to do things that they're confident they can do and make them feel that they're they're confident they can do this. I think that he put those guys in a position to do something that they probably weren't confident to do. And we know that because Cedric didn't throw that ball down the field to CJ Goodwin, who was wide open. If he had if he had was comfortable in doing that and realized that was my second option, then I think he would have done it. But if you watch that play, it looks like I don't see I don't see this wander here. I'm just going. You know, you shut it down. First option shut down. Forget it. You know, yeah. okay, now and that, what? And that was it. Now it's that a panic it. play. Yeah. And, and, uh, now you're I mean, asking me to run you 10 play. yards for first down. I, I want to ask you guys a question. And I know it's 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 a ridiculous season. There's been tragedy. Um, but we're, what, 12 games in? Or 11? Yes. Cowboys are 3 and 8. They're 11, 11 games, games in. Um, is it? My good friend Mark Bradley in Atlanta often writes columns on Falcons games, and every game is a referendum on coaching or personnel. And and so my 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 question here is, can we call a referendum on Mike McCarthy after eleven games? Is there a referendum to be to be called? Do you have a do you have a feel on what the Cowboys have gotten here? on these kind of things look it's it's his first season we haven't even got you know come on every coach just unless unless he does something there's a moral problem here you know he deserves uh another year I, i've seen the speculation that could, could jerry fire him there is no way in the world that jerry will fire him after one year just because it makes jerry look like an idiot you know why did you hire this if, guy i'm not asking if jerry fires him i'm asking him i'm asking if you think it's do we know do we know enough about him no no we don't know enough about him i, I want to see what when when uh he's got a good enough defense i i you know the demons have started to play better now you know remember when we were all calling for mike nolan's head and he says no no we're we're, we're sticking with this and, and you know they and they have played better at least until last week and then they started playing like they had been before uh so i i think that i yeah, no i don't know enough you know tim wrote tim kalashaw wrote the other day that uh that this looks like the guy who won a Super Bowl because it was at the height of Aaron Rodgers' abilities. Well, I, I think that's unfair. I, I think, it, you know, you could say that about every coach. You can say that about Bill Belichick. But was he great because he had Tom Brady? Was Tom Brady great because, you know, he had Bill Belichick? You know, I, I think the jury's still out on all that. I don't know. You know, I do think that, that Tom Brady plays a lot better in that offense he had in New England than he does in the, in the one he has with Bruce Arians. So I, I think that, that that you need a little more than 11 games. I, I think you, you probably need more than two years. I seriously question uh, what, what the guy's doing. Now, this, where was this in Green? Hey, I, you know, I don't, what is it that you learned in this off season that told you you, it, it has the feel of a dad trying to be hip, 
You know, it, it, it has a feel of like, look, I'm going to be like Cliff Kingsbury. And I'm going to, you know, well, Cliff Kingsbury got to the NFL. And they got the best name in the NFL. So, you know, it's like, no, you, you can't be Cliff Kingsbury. And you don't need to be Cliff Kingsbury. Just be, just be yourself. And what got you here to this point? I think, I think the Cowboys would have been happy with that. And instead, we're, we're getting we're, – it looks like we're getting something completely different. Maybe he's just doing that because Dak's gone. Maybe he wouldn't have done all this if Dak were still here. I don't know. We did see some disturbing things early on when Dak was still healthy uh, and some dis- disturbing decision-making. But the, also the team was struggling at that point. Uh, and maybe maybe he was panicking a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but I, these are things we need to find out. I, you know, I know con- context is always in the moment, but – you know, there right now it has a feel more of desperation or throwing your hands up rather than being creative. Um, and so that's the thing that's disturbing for me is it almost feels like, yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll try this crazy ass play that we know probably isn't going to work. But man, if it does, we'll look like geniuses. Um, I, I, that part of it doesn't add up. I, I agree with you, Kevin. You know. 11 games into a guy's career into a guy's tenure it's hard to make a call um to say that you that you've got enough and he certainly hasn't had all his personnel but i go back to this david this is not a team that looks at two and three year rebuilding periods right well and and this is not a team what was one of the primary reasons that mike mccarthy is here There is a great respect in the organization for Jason Garrett and the culture he established and uh, the methodical approach to games, the preparation for games. But one area where they did not see him improve was in-game, calling games, uh, in-game decisions. He was making some of the same baffling decisions in games and was unable to adapt from what the initial uh, game plan was during a game would adapt too late, and then they would find themselves loose. So they felt they were getting a head coach with proven ability to adapt within the game to come up with a winning game plan. And you have not seen that to this point. Uh, one of the biggest assets that Mike McCarthy was supposed to have what over Jason Garrett was that. Um, now, again, I wrestle with it because you, you can't divorce this from the personnel. I mean – uh, this offensive line, uh, look, it, it's gone beyond, okay, you lost your two starting tackles early in the season. Let's just go back to the Washington game. They lose their two starting tackles who are, in essence, their backup tackle. <laughs> they lose both within the first five snaps of the game. Their whole offensive game plan changed from what they wanted to do because they weren't able to run the way uh, that they were in the Minnesota game. And, and you're facing one of the top three defensive fronts in the league. And you lose, you know, what was the talk going in? Oh, finally, this offensive line has probably settled down with health. Now you can move Zach Martin out to right tackle. You finally get some consistency. That's the way you can go through the remainder of the season. And you lose Zach Martin, what, three snaps, five snaps into the game? You'd already lost Cameron Irving, Irving on the other side before that. So he's been compromised in a way, really, that, that, no other head coach has here in a long time. Uh, 2015, there were a lot of injuries, but they weren't across the board the way this this 
year has been. They were primarily quarterback, and then you know, that team, you know, uh, th- th- this is a little different in how they've unfolded. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, back to your other earlier point, in the NFL, everything's a referendum on the head coach and, and your top players. And, you know, um, Mike McCarthy doesn't come out of this season looking good. I don't think some of the Cowboys star players come out of this season looking good. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, only one, one game of a hundred yards, only, you know, when you look at other players going out and the players who need to step up and do something, how many of them have done that? Um, I, I think this is, I think this, is, this adjusts how you look at, at all of these uh, key these principles going forward as far as you make your decisions. But, but, but another thing real quick, going back to since, since the whole decision sparked, sparked this uh, discussion, um, you know, Mike McCarthy said after that, that it was a solid play call. My contention is that's like calling the Cowboys three and eight record, a solid record. Yeah. There's really no. hey, it was not a smart play call. But when you double down and call yeah. it and try and defend it, then you're really making a fool of yourself. Sorry, Kevin. I, I... No, I just think that that's – well, then that's a good point. It's like you are making a fool of I think if you went around the league and asked every head coach in the league, hey, would you run this play right here in this situation? I think you'd get uh, – even before that play happened, in this kind of situation, would you do this? I think they'd say no. I think all of them would say no. No way, no way from my own 24 – in a four-point game, fourth and ten, you know, uh, you know, I don't like the uh, listen. I don't like the fake punt play pretty much almost any time. I, I just go for it on fourth and one. Go for it, you know. Just line your guys up and, and and call a play. Do something, something you practiced with people who are used to doing this kind of thing uh, for a living. You know, not not asking people who you, to do things that are outside their box. You know, I just think Local that's a little crazy. Play anytime. Because yeah, anytime. Just a crazy play. And yeah. I think there's time for that element of surprise, but it's a low percentage play. Yeah. Sure. All right, let's have one last so, thing on the so When they go with the fake field goal in Baltimore, then you're going to be against that as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm against that as well. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the uh, um, All right, so um, one last question about the Cowboys. I want to ask both of you boys. We're going we're gonna to have a little poll here. Who wins the division? David, we'll start with you. Jeez. I looked at this yesterday and I, I mean, you can make a case for the Cowboys at six and 10 still. You can they make a case for all of them, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you watch them, except Philly, I, I do think Philly's in the worst position right now. They play the toughest. Uh, even schedule. though Dallas is half, half behind them. Uh, yeah. Their next four game, <sighs> you know, you could kind of lean toward New York, but with Daniel Jones hamstring now, and they have a few more difficult games than I think Washington does. I think Alex Smith is the most dependable quarterback in the division at the moment. Um, they're at the top. I I can't believe I'm uttering these words, but I, I go with Washington. <laughs> 
I like your conviction. That was really good. Oh, uh, you know, I was. Washington's already got a tiebreaker against the Cowboys, right? They've already. Won yes. Yes. The right. Uh, Dallas would have to finish one game ahead of Washington in order to win the division, which yeah. which is the, which is why that game was so crippling on Thanksgiving. And the Giants yeah. and Washington have just played. They still have a game left with one another. The Giants and Washington. No, I don't think that's right. right. I think Giants swept swept right? Washington. Yeah, swept Giants Washington. swept Washington. So that so, so I mean, Giants have that tiebreaker. So Washington's going to have to finish ahead of 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 uh, New York. Yes. Well, unless there's like a three way tie, and then you get into division records, and then so those sweeps cancel out. So yeah. I, um, I just feel like that game at MetLife Stadium on the final day of the season still is, may have a huge impact on this whole thing. Well, well, I think only only one game separates the entire division. I mean, we're talking about how bad the Cowboys are. They're only one game out, technically. Right. <laughs> you know, at first. Now, they, again, they lose some time. But if they beat the Giants again, then they will have swept the Giants. And so, like, they would, if they finish in a tie with the Giants at the top, then Dallas would win the division if they won that final game. So it's – but look, let's see how Dallas responds after the, the way they lost that uh, uh, Thanksgiving game. And, and we'll, we'll see what unfolds here. And then just one last thing for me, guys. Would – if this had been – if this season had not already had games pushed to the brink – would there have been any thought to postpone Thursday's game after the Marcus Paul incident? Uh, incident, tragedy. No, I mean, um, no. You, you can go back a few years ago and, well, six years ago and when the Cowboys played in Cincinnati where they had a death six hours or eight hours before they were about to board their flight for Cincinnati. Uh, and, and Dallas still went and played that game. So, um, no, the, the, the league normally doesn't no. make accommodations. No, that. I wouldn't, wouldn't say so either. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys talk. We need to move on to uh, – uh, I guess we'll, we'll go to uh, – let's, let's go to the Mavericks now because they're starting up their practice this week. Uh, the, they open training camp today, Tuesday. Uh, and, uh, which seems kind of crazy. The season was just over like 20 minutes ago and, and here we are in, in training camp again. Um, uh, the, the Mavericks, uh, prospects in the West, uh, I, I know a lot of fans, uh, were, uh, upset because, you know, uh, our, our Brad Townsend uh, cited sources in the league saying that the Mavericks were going all in here. We're going to do whatever they could to accommodate, uh, winning now, not, not just waiting and not. Uh, keeping their powder dry, as they always like to say, until uh, next year when all the great free agents are going to be available. Uh, and uh, and then that didn't really happen. Uh, and and I and I don't know that that anyone should have expected that to happen. I, I you know my my problem with that whole idea was what were they going to trade? You know they they're a, they're a team with two super you know one superstar, one really good player, and then a team of role players. You know. What, what were you going to, you, you weren't trading Przingis or Luca. So uh, what was going to be the attraction for somebody else other than the draft picks this year, which was an 18 and a 31 to, to me, that just didn't even make any sense. I mean, what was, what was going to somebody going to just kill to have and for them to come up with Josh Richardson uh, for Seth Curry, I thought was a really good trade. Uh, I thought that that, 
you know, they had identified, it seemed like everything about that, that series, that playoff series with the Clippers to find what they wanted to do in the off season. You know, they ended up the, the, the key moment and, and Brad had identified this earlier and that series was when they ended up with Seth Curry trying to guard Kawhi Leonard, which is about as silly as it gets. Uh, and so it ends up that they trade Seth Curry because he couldn't guard Kawhi Leonard and they go out and get a guy, Josh, uh, uh, who was Josh Reynolds, who is really a nice player, a uh, guy who was, when he was with Miami, the the uh, uh, the star of that team. And uh, there were people calling him one of the best two-way uh, uh, wings in the, in the league. Uh, to me, he didn't have a great year last year in Philadelphia. Nobody had a great year last year in Philadelphia, a very dysfunctional group. Uh, which is why Daryl Morey is there now uh, and running that team and making making deals and, and trying to straighten out exactly what it is they're doing. He didn't fit what they do. I think that that uh, Josh Richardson is going to be a very uh, good player for the Mavericks. I think he, he, fits, he fits a need here. Um, uh, we'll see what the draft picks do. I, I wouldn't expect a lot out of those guys. Uh, Josh Green looks like a guy you would bring in uh, – play a little defense uh, during a game. He's an athletic guy. I was uh, interested in the fact that they d- did not draft Sadiq Bay uh, from Villanova, who, uh, you know, that program has produced a lot of very nice uh, players. When they come into the league, they're kind of NBA ready. And uh, for a team that wants to win now, and you're trying to draft, uh, your, your pick is at 18. seems like you'd want a guy like that. Uh, I think they decided, and I have not talked to Donnie about this, Donnie Nelson, but uh, I think they decided that Josh Green was more athletic and they wanted to go that way with somebody who could who could uh, guard people one on one and uh, maybe a little bit more so than Sadiq Bay could. So we'll see how that goes. But I, I do think in the West uh, that uh, for the fans who think that they didn't do enough to get past the first round, I think that's I, I, I don't think that's accurate going in. I think that I'm picking the Mavericks right now, fifth in the West. Uh, behind uh, the the two Los Angeles teams, the Lakers and the Clippers, uh, as well as Denver and Portland, I think those are I think those are the four best teams in the West right now. I think the Mavericks can step in right after that. I know there's a lot of talk about the Suns and getting Chris Paul. Uh, boy, I hate to think that my season hinged on Chris Paul staying healthy. Uh, he did that last year in Oklahoma City and was very good, but it's the first time in a long time he stayed healthy. Uh, for an entire season. I don't know. You can say that also about uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis, but uh, he's not the Mavericks' best player. So uh, I think that uh, the Mavericks have improved themselves. I think they have gotten themselves to a point where they could make it to the second round of the playoffs, um, and they're setting themselves up for a better run uh, at next summer's free agents with, uh, with a little bit more uh, attractive destination for those free agents. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to strike big on the free agent market next year, though. I mean, they can't they can't continually keep rolling back to, oh, next year's when everyone comes out. I mean, they're going to have to strike sooner rather than later. This wasn't the year to do it. And, and again, it's because of what you said. What did they have to offer? But, um, you know, you'll have another year of Porzingis. You'll see how this team fits. Uh uh, you, you've got to do something big next year, I would think, if you're going to add, you know, uh, the, the way you want to. But this team, this team did what it needed to do. I mean, it it could sacrifice offense 
uh, and had to sacrifice offense to get a little more athletic on the wings uh, to actually defend somebody. I mean, part of the reason they were, you know, historically one of the best offenses in the in history is because they couldn't play defense, you know, the, right. the way they needed to. Uh, so some of that was out of, of desperation and scheme and, and you gave up some stuff. Yeah, it was playing to your strengths. Uh, but you know those strengths aren't going to help you. What's a strength in the regular season is not necessarily a strength in the playoffs. And um, the the Clippers pounded that home against the uh, against the the Mavericks in that opening series. And, and Dallas knew it. It wasn't any surprise. And, and Dallas shouldn't have won that series. But the way they lost and how physical the Clippers were with them shows what they needed to address. Um, you know, I think they've done that uh, in, in some ways. And you're also going to have Dwight Powell back, uh, w- which I think is a big asset for them and, and helps uh, bring a little bit of offensive, defensive balance to this team that was missing uh, in, in the second half of last season. And for everyone who says that this Mavericks team hasn't improved enough, I would go back to their top player. I don't think you're giving him enough credit. Because even as much as he improved last year over his initial year, you should still expect that sort of arc to continue. Um, You have a player who makes everyone around him better and should be even better this year than what you just saw. So don't, don't negate the aspect of this team developing and growing because of who your best player is, because in the NBA, that is how teams develop and grow. And so um, it, it's about th- this isn't the, the knockout free agent move or trade that anyone wanted, but uh, you have a, a more well-rounded team around Luka Doncic and, and don't minimize how he can make these guys better around him than maybe they've been in any other point of their career. So, um, yeah, I, I think this, like I said, it wasn't a sexy off season for them, but it, but it made a lot of sense and, and it put them in a position of where they need to be going forward as they make decisions, personnel decisions. Yeah. They need to get a lot tougher. You know, it reminds me of when, uh, Mike Madonna, uh, was uh, coming up with the stars and here's a very talented guy. Uh, and certainly with Wayne Gretzky, when he was a great player, you, you have to surround those kind of players with tough guys. You you got to protect these guys. This, this is, these are the franchises. And in the playoffs last year, uh, Marcus Morris just abusing uh, Luca and other players. And you got Porzingis going up and he's, he's the guy trying to stand up for him. That, that was nice, but that's, that's not going to cut it, you know, you, and you don't do it just by going up and confronting a guy on the floor. You do it by the way you play on the floor. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, and what happens on the floor and happens during the game, you know, I, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but I, when I was in high school, uh, the first NBA game I ever went to was a rocket Celtics game and it was at old Hoffines pavilion. I had a great seat that was right on the floor and, uh, and Calvin Murphy just made a great shot. And, uh, and so he's running back down the floor and Paul Silas is coming down the floor at the same time. And they are on, on, the on, on a converging pass here for one coming at different angles, but they're going to cross to right in front of each other at mid court and right. And Calvin's not paying attention. He's just running down the floor and, and right as he crossed in front of Silas, Silas stuck his knee out and, and boy, there goes Calvin spilling to the floor. And I remember seeing it. And then, and, and Silas just keeps on trudging down the floor, like nothing happened. 
And I realized right then that's this is what it's like. This is this is pro basketball. These are pro sports. This is what the, this is what goes on that you don't really you don't see that on TV. You know, you don't see that play because the camera's away from it. But that's the kind of stuff that happens on the floor. And that's the kind of stuff that has to happen when Luca when somebody takes advantage of Luca, this is the kind of thing you do. You know, you, you, yep. you take it out on this guy later. He pays for it later. He knows he's gonna have to pay for it later. Against that against that Mavericks team last year, who's gonna make Marcus Morris pay? Nobody. So uh, yeah, I, I do think that uh, they need to listen. They need to do whatever they can to make Luca happy. I wouldn't be surprised if they went to Luca and said, "Hey, listen, how about we do? How about these moves? How do you feel about these?" Uh, sure. Because because even though he can be under contract with them a long time, they can keep him up for eight eight years. You know how that deal is. If the guy wants to force a trade, he forces a trade. If he doesn't yes. want to play for you, he's not going to play for you. Exactly. So, there there are there are things that they have to do to keep him happy because he wants to win now. And which to me, and to your point, I think that I think that Luca is a transcendent player. If we didn't know that already, we we have to realize that that is exactly what he is. And and those kind of players are hard to come by. Uh, and and, you, and and I think he will elevate this team. But you have to also know that. He, he wants to win more than anything. That's what drives him is winning, not being a great player, not putting up great numbers. That's what's great about him. That's what you have to love about the guy is that more than anything else, he just wants to win. Uh, it, so. Yeah, and that's the point I was trying to make earlier. Just real, I know we want to talk about some other things here real quick to, to wrap this up. But, uh, I mean, that's it exactly. It's like th- this whole concept of, oh, Okay, well, Luca got him to the the first round here quicker than anyone. They they went out in the first round, but now we have to get better players around Luca in order for them to go farther. I just think is a little bit flawed thinking because Luca is the guy who can still take you farther regardless of who's around him. Uh, yeah. it, it it does matter who's around him. I get it, but it's not like it's not like he's reached his ceiling and now you have to get better players around him to fulfill the team's potential. He still rises. The the team's potential is still on the ascent because of him and he will take people along with him yes kevin since you shared such a nice story and reminiscence of uh calvin murphy calvin (laughs) murphy i i'd like to share a story too oh Um, good uh and it, it has to do with uh big stuff going on in dallas this week well in arlington um but as both of you probably know uh, I, I'm writing about the uh, the rodeo, the national finals rodeo. That, did you did you put your cowboy hat on before you wrote that? I am uh, I am roping and I'm a riding and I'm roping and a riding. Um, but uh, I, uh, I I've been to the NFR before, or at least was in the same town as it in uh, in Las Vegas in Vegas. December of '96. Uh, and uh, my good friend, and I think both of you guys know. Um, Jeff Miller, not the Jeff Miller that worked at the morning news, but the other Jeff Miller, yeah, uh, currently covering the Chargers for the LA Times, uh, was with me, and uh, we walked into an elevator, and there were several large men there decked out in complete cowboy regalia, um, and Jeff, being the smart, funny guy that he is, uh, looked at those guys, had no idea what was going on, and said, hey, is there a rodeo in town or something? <laughs> <laughs> and did they trust him up? Did they trust the two of y'all up and leave y'all there in the, we, in the they elevator? They practice some calf roping skills on us. Anyway, um, flash forward to last week when I was on the phone with uh, George Taylor, who is the CEO of the 
Pro Rodeo Cowboys Association, the PRCA, as I like to call it. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, and we were talking about uh, the move of the of the NFR this year to, to Arlington, because if you want to cram some people into a facility in 2020, Arlington is your place. Yeah. Uh, but we were talking about the move to Arlington because there are no fans allowed in Vegas. And for the NFR to succeed, you've got to have fans in the place. And uh, we talked a little bit about the event and he said, I, I don't know if you've uh, ever been to Vegas for the NFR. And I interrupted him right there. And I said, funny, you should mention that and told him my story. And uh, I may get, who knows, I may get roped and, and ridden and put away again this week if I happen to go out there. But uh, it's, uh, it's something, it's something to have the, the Super Bowl or rodeo here this week for, for one week. Um, Going to be about 15,000 people there a night for 10 nights. Uh, I think one of those nights is also the uh, Errol Spence fight. It's fight, yeah. So you're going to have another crowd of about 30,000 people in Arlington. Um, but they've run people in and out of events, and, and hopefully they've been able to do it safe, and hopefully this will get get off. And and for NFR, you know, everything is based, the purses are based on, on crowds, so hopefully they're able to get their good crowds in there. Hopefully everybody's able to be safe, and, and hopefully it's a good event. I know a lot of Texans go out to Vegas every year for it. This is, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to have a, a really cool event here for, for one year, even if under poor circumstances. I'm going out there Thursday. I'll be there. You know, the NFR started in Dallas, of course, 59, 60, and 61. Uh, it was uh, it was at the fairgrounds, I believe. At the fairgrounds, that's correct. And then and, it moved. Uh, you know, to... I also had an interesting conversation yesterday with Taylor Hearn, the Rangers pitcher, um, who's from a rodeo family. His granddad, Cleo Hearn, is, is mm -hmm. a Hall of Fame uh, member of the uh, Black Cowboys Association. And Shad Mayfield, who's, who's a leading calf roper, we had a good conversation just about the differences between being um, be, being black in baseball and being black in rodeo these days. So that yeah. I'm going to write something on that. That'd be good. Be glad to read it. All right. Uh, let's talk about the, uh, about Texas before we get out of here and the situation with Tom Herman uh, is now has lost back-to-back -back years to Iowa state, which is just about as unconscionable as you can imagine. Matt Campbell's done a fabulous job there at uh, Iowa state, but if you're Texas, you can't be losing to them. Not two years in a row, not at home, uh, not when you're in as much trouble as Tom Herman is in. Uh, got an interesting quote from one of the uh, uh, Iowa State players, Brees Hall, the running back, who said it was a five-star culture against five-star athletes. Now, that is not something that Brees Hall made up. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that came from Matt Campbell, uh, and that's something he made sure his players were aware of. Uh, so that is an indictment of the program at Texas. Uh, I know – you know, it's funny if you look at uh, uh, Tom's record there. It's it's not it's not a bad record. He's got a great bowl record. He's three and one in bowl games at Texas. Um, but Fred Akers had a pretty good record too, uh, and uh, and he got canned, uh, and basically because he wasn't Daryl Royal. Uh, and uh, yeah, but and what bowl games are they playing in when you get the good record? <laughs> well, they, the had, other, they had the one you know, good bowl. They had the one good Sugar yeah. Bowl win over Georgia, and that was it. That's that yeah. was his marquee moment. His signature moment was uh, was beating uh, Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, but uh, he hasn't had very many other ones, and there's just been too much up and down with Texas. Uh, and uh, I, I think, uh, and our our Chuck Carlton seems pretty convinced that this is going to happen. And uh, and I trust Chuck's reporting on that uh, sort of thing. 
Uh, and of course the, the play, the, the guy has been mentioned the most and I've written about and everybody else has too is urban Meyer, uh, who is, it's not clear yet. If urban wants to coach again, I believe he does. I don't believe he would have taken that TV gig if he didn't want to coach again. That's why they do it. And so they can keep you, keep themselves, uh, uh, fresh in everybody's, uh, uh, vision and memory and, uh, and show what a genius they are. And every chance he gets to talk, Urban always talks about what it's, you know, he's not talking about what's going on right now with this team. He's talking about how, this is how you build a great uh, program. And everything he says, of course, is just genius. And that's what all these people are hearing is that this is exactly what we need. And, and you know, uh, and I hate to drag Tim uh, into this discussion again, but Tim wrote the other day that uh, he's not sure what it says about Texas, the fact that since Daryl's day, they've only won one national championship so really, what is Texas anyway? Uh, the, the point I would make uh, about uh, Texas possibilities of, of winning and being a national program and being what they were in Daryl Royal's day, obviously, it's a lot more difficult now than it was back then. Uh, there are a lot of different factors. There's a, the, the factor in Texas, number one, is, is that you have so many school, Division One schools in one state. There's Other than California, there's no other state like that. Florida is the closest. You know, in, in almost every other state, it's, it's one or two programs at most. And that's, and that's a lot easier to overcome that than it is when you can drive 30 miles, 100 miles, 150 miles, and there's another one, you know. And these yeah, are all. You've, and you've also seen what's happened with UCLA and USC in, exactly. in California. So the same exactly. thing has happened here as, as other programs have, have risen, and particularly programs in adjoining states, right? You know, so. Well, that's true. Um, and anyway, it, but here, here's my, my point about what, what Tim's talking about. My, my issue would be in Texas' long and storied history, the best coach that they've ever hired, the, the, the coach with the biggest resume that they've ever hired was DX Bible. DX Bible had been the coach of Texas A&M and Nebraska before he got to Texas and already established a national reputation as a great coach. And ever since then, even Daryl Royal was a guy, was a, just a young coach who hadn't done very much and who got the job basically on the recommendation of Bear Bryant. Uh, ever since then, Texas is just kind of, I wouldn't say they were going on the cheap, not when Tom Herman is making $6 million a year, but None of the, first of all, none of the coaches they've ever hired have ever won a national championship before they came to Texas. Uh, and, uh, and it's not a, a track record of guys who had a really impressive resume. Otherwise, you know, Mac Brown had done a nice job in North Carolina, but as everybody would tell you, that's a basketball school. You know, you, you're hiring a guy from a basketball school and he's been your best hire since Daryl Royal. Uh, Texas just hasn't really put in it's, it's money behind these, these kind of hires, you know, when, when John McAvick got the job in the early 90s, I wrote a column and I said, because John McAvick said, our goal is to win a national championship. And my question was, if your goal was to win a national championship, why didn't you hire a guy who'd already won one? Uh, and John McAvick quickly proved that he was not up to that task either. It's a tough, Texas is a tough job because you have to answer to a lot of people. You have to answer to more people than most coaches do. You know, you, you, there's a lot of, you got the Houston bunch, you got the Dallas bunch, you got the, the Central Texas bunch, the West Texas bunch. There's a lot of different kinds of alumni uh, for, for the University of Texas, and all of them want their say. So it's a very difficult job uh, to handle all of that. You bring in Urban Meyer, and that, that problem is solved. Uh, I, I don't know what Urban's health would be. I don't know how long he would want the job. I'm guessing probably no more than five years. Five years is probably enough for him. Uh, he's won two national championships, one in Florida, 
and, and one at uh, uh, Ohio State. Or am I am I wrong about that? Maybe he's won two at Florida. Did he win two at Florida? Two, I believe two at Florida. Two at Florida and one at Ohio State. Uh, he'll win no matter where he goes. He knows what he's doing, uh, and he'll. I, I believe he would leave uh, Texas better off, just like he did Ohio State uh, with Ryan Day when he took over as the head coach. So my so point is, is that Kevin, they need a big coach. Has Texas been too concerned? Really, you know, I think with the exception of of, of maybe Makovic, has Texas been too concerned since the days of Daryl Royal? with finding another dynastic coach. If you hire Urban Meyer, you know, you're going to, you're, you're improving your chances of winning a national championship. But I, I think just as you said, he's not going to be there more than four or five years. Probably not, but that's all you should care about really at this point. Uh, listen, Texas, Texas has won one national championship in the last 40 years. Uh, and, and that's just not acceptable for a program that, that comes from this state. I don't think now, you know, we, you make the point about California uh, with USC, USC has more national championships than Texas does. Uh, and, and look where, look where they are since Pete Carroll left. But I think if you go back and I, I and then last night I went through a lot of these programs and I looked at their histories, look at Alabama, look what Alabama did, you know, I'm not counting the national championships before 1935. That's such an iffy thing. That's before the, the polls, you know, before the AP poll and all of that. Of, of the 11 national championships that Alabama has won, you know, other than those, five by Bear Bryant, five by Nick Saban, one by Gene Stallings. You know, so two guys have 10 national championships. Alabama is a great place, right? But it's a great place because of those two coaches. That's that's what's great about it, and 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 Alabama knew that. You know, uh, it was like we we've tried it. We've hired some. We've hired. We had Bill Curry. We had Ray Perkins. You know, we've had coaches, and you know, we had guys who were pretty good. You know, doing an okay job. Uh, but but they're not Nick Saban. You know, they're not Bear Bryant. I do believe, I I believe there are a lot of coaches out there who can make you good. And, and, and give you a good program. You can win eight games and you can go to a bowl game every year. I think there are a handful of coaches that can win national championships for you. I, I want to look at what Jimbo Fisher did at Florida state, a really good job winning that national title. He's come to A&M in his third year. He's got that in position now to likely make, I think the final four. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see how Florida state, I don't see how Clemson, and Notre Dame both make the final four. If they're going to play each other in the, in the ACC title game, one of them knocks out the other one. And I believe that A&M is going to win out, and I believe they'll be in that position. I don't, I don't think they can win it all. They're not good enough at quarterback. Uh, but he has still gotten them in that position in three years while Tom Herman has struggled. And, and I think it's one of the reasons is because I think that, that frankly, Jimbo Fisher is just a better coach than Tom Herman is. I, I'm not going to disagree with Jimbo Fisher over Tom Herman, but I am going to disagree with the idea that he's put him in position to win a legitimate national championship. There is the way this season has played out. I, I don't see any legitimacy to this season whatsoever. Um, the, the number of cancellations, um, teams making changes on the fly. I, I just, it, it's been hard. I, I consider myself a pretty avid college football fan. Um, it is the one thing that I feel like I can get passionate about as a fan without having to worry about covering something. Um, and I've just, I, I, it's been hard to watch college football this year. I just think it really has been. 
Well, uh, I, I, certainly you can make that argument that it's not, you know, it's not the, and it's not the same. But you have to admire somebody who does win. If you if you put together a full schedule and win in the middle of all of this, I'm not saying it counts as much as it would have last year. If if Ohio State, look, what the committee's going to do, and we'll find out today what the committee thinks about that. But if Ohio State only ends up playing six or seven games, uh, do you do you even if they're undefeated, do you equate that with a ten or eleven game? I don't think so. I don't I, think you I, can. Yeah. You can give them that the much big, credit. The Big Ten is is crap. I mean, it, it you know you've got you've got iconic programs in the Big Ten. You know, with one and two wins. Um, yeah, Penn State was a big bust this year. Michigan's a huge bust. Well, it, Michigan's been been a bust for a while. Jim Harbaugh is on his way out there, and that's uh, speaking of Urban Meyer. The, the the question about all that for me is that. Urban Meyer's going to have his choice of, of, of jobs here. If he's going to have the Texas job. I think he could have the Michigan job if he wanted it. I think he could, uh, if, if Clay Helton is out uh, at USC, he could have the USC job, which seems to be a little more attractive. He's already living in L.A. Uh, now, and, and maybe he would maybe he would just find that more attractive to stay there. I don't know. And I haven't, just speaking of, of – Matt Campbell, what is his situation at Iowa State? Because he would be a hot commodity, I would expect. He's been for a while. Uh, you know, he he should have probably left uh, Iowa State a couple of years ago uh, when he was when they had a I believe they I'm trying to remember how many games they won and then they then they struggled the last couple of years and now they have kind of made a comeback this year. Uh, if he's going to go, well, if he's going to go, he needs to go now. I just don't know. I really think uh, the that Urban Meyer looms over the landscape so much uh, that it's hard to even talk about other coaches, other jobs. I've I've seen other names mentioned for the Texas job, and it's like you know, and and, and Chuck wrote about that Mario Cristobal with Oregon, you know, a former Miami player. It's like I can't imagine that that Texas fans would go, oh yeah, let's take the let's take the Oregon coach instead, you know. Uh, and you that know. puts Texas in a big bind because that's not to say there's not a coach better than Urban Meyer for their situation. Absolutely. But if they're not in the, I mean, they've got to be all in on Urban Meyer. They just can't go. Okay, well, we'll concede him somewhere else. Let's look at these other guys. You better. Well, if you're going to go in on Urban Meyer, if you're Texas and you're going in on Urban Meyer, you better go in saying. We have to beat not that we're yes. Texas and he's going to want to come here. We got to beat a Michigan. Yes. And we got to beat those other programs. That's where and, you're at now. And Urban yeah. Meyer knows this, and he's going to sit there and let all of them play against each other, and then go. I, I would be shocked if he's not back in this year because I, I think there's going to be a remarkable deal put in place for him. And and I mean, just the three places you already mentioned, Kevin. I mean, that's. That's a good mix. You can, and then he can weigh, okay, where do I want to live? Which program actually is best uh, suited for me to do what I want? Or, you know, do, am, am I looking – or some other things more important to me now? Is it more of a lifestyle sort of thing? And I'm still going to win because I'm me. You know, I mean, you, it depends on where he is too. And, and and I've always found that argument interesting too because, you know, sometimes you, you talk someone out of retirement – or who's been out of the game just because you throw so much money at them. And then you go, well, see, I talked them back into it. Well, you didn't really talk them back into it, The the money and the, and the lifestyle uh, and, and you know, what they'd lost in the lifestyle is what got them back in. So, and then you're, and then you deal with, okay, if that's what it took to get them back, do we really want that person? Or are they the right person for the job? If it's just completely monetarily driven. Uh, but again, I just think Texas is in a position they have to go after them. They have to go after them hard. And 
they, they can't take themselves out of doing that because it goes against everything they're interested about, what they say, how they promote themselves, you know, and, and it's uh, they're they're in a real tough spot because I, I think they're they're captured more by their image than what they actually are right now and their Texas perception of who they are and what they should be. You know, I think Texas is in a dangerous position. They cannot make the same mistake that Nebraska made a decade ago and think that they that their place in college football among the icons are always here is, yeah. is always going to be there because look at what's happened in Nebraska. Well, look, the, the problem that Texas runs to is not just that Nebraska doesn't have Texas A&M in its state too. And so you got Jimbo Fisher, who's here, who's guaranteed yeah. to be here for 10 years. Uh, and if, if Jimbo gets a, a, a toehold, which he seems to have now, uh, and if he's going to already be better Texas is going to start out with a new quarterback next year. Uh, that's going to be hard for them to live with, uh, the Texas fans to live with. The fact if A&M really gets a toehold and gets going here and they're, they're winning in a tougher league, you know, yeah. that, that's, that really says a lot. That's going to be hard to overcome that. And I think that's another thing driving this Urban Meyer bus is that we've got to one-up A&M here. A&M, went, A&M has done this on occasion. A&M went out and spent – First of all, to get Bear Bryant in the fifth in 1954, went out to get Jackie Sherrill in 1982, went out to get Jimbo Fisher now in, in 2018. These were these were big bold moves. AM has, has has been willing to do that, and in all those situations, it it, it has paid off. Now you can also say it, it it resulted in NCAA sanctions at least the first two times out, but they were a much better team because of those coaches as well. And they're much, they're a much better team this time. I don't, I don't think it's much of a mystery. You know, you, if you're a program like Texas and A&M, you're a national program. You, you, those are the two biggest revenue producers in college football. If you're not using some of that money that you're making to pay for really good coaches, why are you always trying to get one on the cheap? Why are you always trying to get a guy who's been a coordinator or a guy who's, yeah, he's won a little bit here. He's won a little bit there. You know, why is it you're trying to do that? Why aren't you trying to get the very best coach available? And they, and Texas is going to look so, it's going to look so bad for Texas to eat contracts for Tom Herman and his staff and pay urban Meyer. What, what it's going to take to get urban Meyer in the middle of this whole situation economically and, I don't think they care. And uh, you know what? I think I think that Texas fans are are up to their neck with all of it. They they've got the money to pay all that off. If they really want to do that, they can and they will. I, I'm I'm convinced that they will do that. It's just a question of whether Urban wants the Texas job or not, and we still don't know that. And quickly before we wrap it up, I, to your other point, where you know there's so many constituent constituencies that you have to appeal to and appease at Texas, the, the Houston group, the, the, the Dallas group. I mean, all, you know, the, the larger figure you have in place is more capable of doing that. I don't know that Tom Herman was capable of doing that. Charlie Strong certainly wasn't capable of doing that. You have to defer too much. If you come in as the top dog, you say, look, I'll get back to you when I get back to you. Right. which a lot of these other coaches do not have the latitude to do. No, they don't. There, there, there are two coaches in the country, maybe three who can do that. Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, and Davos Swinney. 
and and they and, and Dabba doesn't really have that kind of personality, but 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 Saban and 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 Meyer certainly do. do. Yes. And 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 you're exactly right. They're the kind of guys that are just going to say, "You just guys just let me do my job and get behind this, and we'll win, and you'll be happy." And they will be happy. They won't they won't question any of that. You won't you won't see the the same kind of of reactions from from big uh, boosters who came out and openly questioned moves that Texas has made. You won't see that at all in this group. No. So we'll, we'll wait and see. All right, that's going to be it for our podcast this week. We had a lot of good discussion about, uh, about three topics. I think that's good. We need to broaden our scope a little bit uh, here every once in a while, boys. Four. Rodeo. We got rodeo in Oh, we got two. rodeo in there, too. That's Four. right. I forgot about that. Four. What, what kind of place – you know, I, I just want to say here. Riding and a roping, a roping and a riding. I've actually been uh, to. I've probably been more to rodeos than both of you guys put together. I, we love rodeo in this house. We, it's a fun. It's a fun thing to go watch. I covered a night of bull riding my first month at the Morning News. Did you cover them bull riding? You know, here's what they always say invariably. You know, and I went one time at, at Cowboy Christmas in the Fourth of July. I went around with uh, two. Uh, 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 bareback riders and traveled with them for four days it was the craziest thing i've ever done but uh but you know when you tell them invariably if you tell any rodeo cowboy where you're from they'll say where are you from i said i live in dallas and they look at you like dallas you live in dallas they act like you're living on mars i mean it is like the most alien thing they could possibly imagine to live in Dallas, Fort Worth to them, it's just like, oh my gosh, a megapolis. You know, it's just like they can't believe that, you know, even Fort Worth, uh, but but Dallas, oh my God. Then they kind of look at you sideways the whole rest of the time you're talking to them, you know, it's so. Yeah, I, I, one of the guys I spoke to the other day was Stetson Wright, who um, uh, is the, uh, was last year's all around champion. And he graduated from a high school class of 35 in Utah. So it, it wasn't. <laughs> wasn't a real big group i also asked them you know I'd, they're planning to, to do one at least one session with the roof open at globe life field weather permitting and it would be the first night any nfr has been under the stars and so i asked him about that and uh goes kind of up there with the explanation bill uh bill elliott once gave me when he he crashed at, at daytona and i ran after him into the garage area and i said bill bill what happened and he said yeah, she just blowed up. Um, I asked, asked Stetson. <laughs> I, I think that's an explanation for the Cowboys season. She just blowed up. <laughs> wrote it all down, too. Um, I asked Stetson about, you know, how, how awesome would it be to, you know, have a uh, have a night out under the stars for the, for the rodeo. It would be a historic night. And he said, I don't care if the roof's open or closed as long as they let me ride. <laughs> there you go that's all that matters right oh man stetson where do you think you got that name from all right so that, that, that absolutely is going to do it uh for our podcast after that little coda about the rodeo rodeo coda you can't beat one of those not often you can pull that out of your hat <laughs> but we did <laughs> so from everybody in here to everybody out there thanks and we'll see you next time <laughs>